Self-worth is the unlock. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage Podcast. I'm Scott. I've traveled full-time as a nomad for the last five years in my truck, living minimally, hiking and exploring as part of my therapy to heal my mind, body, and soul, becoming a self-care savage, and creating a platform through social media to hold myself accountable and show my progress through and how I live it. This podcast, we will push deeper into my history with all the gory details all the amazing moments rediscovered as I've healed and forgiven myself and cleared the path to forgive others. In today's episode, we're going to talk about my mom. My mom is a, is a, is a, was the biggest influence there was through my life, the most constant person that was always there. There's so many great memories that were, were, were buried through all of the chaos that was going on in my life that until I started healing and forgiving through all this process, um, I didn't remember. Uh, for example, uh, one about a, actually a country and Western legend. We also talked about my grandpa a little bit, who was a gambler, uh, some of, uh, to show a little bit of how my mom was, what environment she grew up in. So the best way to understand what's going on with my mom in this episode is let's just get into it. Okay, so we're gonna t- what I'm going to talk about today, or what I'm going to talk about is is now my mom, and and in this time period of when I was born up through, you know, 1970, that 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 first decade of my my life. But so you know, we again we got into my dad and had a little bit more understanding about him. Um, with my mom, um, I, I I'm going to set it up a little bit with with her history, just. Um, because I think it's really important with her. She's she's the most complex one in this. And she, uh, even though my dad was, you know, that monster in my life for so many years growing up, um, my mom was the constant influence. She was the one that actually I look at now versus after I've healed uh, and forgiven with my dad, I, I realized that my mom was actually the, the, um, the, the biggest influence on every, every aspect. So anyway, she's the third child, um, of three and, uh, three girls. Now, uh, her mom was a, 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 a very, uh, verbally type abusive woman, but this was her mom's second marriage to the, the, the older girls. My mom's older sisters were from a previous marriage. So this is kind of setting up the dynamics of trailing these things back and understanding probably what influenced them a lot in, in, in their relationships. And my dad, too, he came from a broken, you know, they were divorced and uh, that kind of stuff, too. So and this is in those days where there wasn't so much of that as there is now uh, or even back when when, you know, this is early, early stuff. Uh, so my mom did not even know that these were her half sisters until she was, I was, I mean, way into her probably fifties until she 
got some information and understood from a cousin or something, something happened and she trailed it back and <laughs> found out that, um, that her mom was previously married and her sisters were half sisters. Now her half sisters, um, um, I think they were, they were kind of, they were, they were relatively close as, as, as girls, but they both died early in their lives. One died of cancer. She was a nurse. Um, she was the kind of nurse that never went to see the doctor. <laughs> so it, it, the, the cancer, she, when they caught it, it was very late. So she didn't have a chance after that point. You got to remember this was in the seventies. Um, and I remember her visiting a couple of times and just, you know, watching that process. And a, a lot of times their mind goes first, but anyways, there's, um, that occurred with her, the um, middle one of the three, which um, and then the oldest one died in the 60s. And I don't remember the exact time period. I remember parts of it because we went to the funeral, which was back in the Midland Odessa area. But this was a, even a more complicated one. She was uh, killed. Um, she was um, married to, you know, she was a, into the abusive type men and things like that. And even though we went to the funeral, my sister and I were kept at the hotel. Somebody watched us there. We couldn't go to the actual funeral because my mom presents it in a way that uh, her husband was in prison for killing her. And now it's debatable because she had some physical issues that caused some um, uh, her to have seizures of some kind. Anyway, she she died um, while having a seizure of some kind, or again, uh, they he got in trouble for because he had the history of the abuse that they felt he he was a big part of it. Either he didn't do anything to help her or he he induced it or caused it but she died in the bathtub in scalding water that was what killed her was hot scalding water um and again drowning and all that but that that was again i can't put together exact i don't have all that but this is the stories behind that but the reason my sister and i didn't go to the funeral we were so little I understand because the, the, the her husband they brought from prison and handcuffs and all that to come to the funeral. So that's the story. Um, it's not going to make a lot of sense because I don't have these are details. There's nobody that I can get that from anymore. But uh, it can be validated. And the part that I, I do have from my sister and and um, and things like that. So that was the her. That was kind of what went on with her a little bit in her her life. And I, I know that uh, she was married to my dad at that time. And I think that was, uh, you know, kind of a blow, uh, a big blow to her. But that's a little bit about her history. Now, my granddad, real quick, uh, he, this is another interesting story. So he, um, his name was Vito. And he was a, a little guy. My mom was only five, one-ish at best. And he was a little guy. He was, uh, and he had, and I've got pictures of him. He's got jet black hair. And it's that hair that comes down on your forehead pretty good. I mean, he is, he is, you look at him and, and he's, or look up Italian, what Italian men look like from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And he's, his picture's going to be there. Now, he didn't really claim that, that Italianism. And I, and just this is the quick story around that. So that his people uh, were were what I can trail back to is from Alabama and things like that. I can't find much about where they came from. Uh, at some point, I will take deep dives into that later on to trail that. I'm just not that's not of interest with what's happening in my life now. But what I do know is there uh, there were some pictures found. And so I found a picture of him when he was very, very young in my mom's uh, chest or whatever it is she had that those trunks they kept in 
you know, with all their little keepsakes, you know, as they all through their life. That's what they used to do. But I found a little picture of him and on the back of it. So my mom's maiden name is Narrell. N-A-R-R-E-L-L. I don't know if that needs to go in here or not, but that, I don't know how else to say it. So N-A-R-R-E-L. Yeah. So Narrell, that was her maiden name. But I found this picture. And um, it was when he was younger. And on the back, it said Vito Narelli, N-E-R-R-E-L-L-I. So it looks like the, as though he changed his name. Be, and he did, you know, he what didn't want to be looked at. Because, again, remember, they ended up in West Texas. I'm not sure, sure how much you know about Texas, but Pecos, Midland, they're all small dirt towns and and uh, back then, it was a lot of oil stuff that went on, things like that. But he was a gambler, big-time gambler. Uh, anytime I remember going and visiting him, which wasn't often, but when we went back to Pecos, uh, he was <laughs> he would always open his trunk, take me and my sister around to his, the trunk of his vehicle and um, uh, open the trunk. And it, there was just mounds of, of playing cards in there. And he would just hand me and my sister a deck of cards. So, um, but again, his, his history was a ga- as a gambler. He 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 was very entrepreneurial. He owned the the uh, motel that was in Pecos, Texas, which is still there. It's called Roper's Motel. This is back in the fifties. That's where my mom worked when she was in high school and stuff. They had a little cafe and all that. So she waited on tables. And that's the other piece to connect here, is that my dad was working as the alignment. At that time, or he was, a, I think, maybe a supervisor position. But they were, again, the the more uh, the more uh, remote areas is where they were putting power lines in mostly because they were, you know, trying to stay ahead of populations and things were growing in certain areas. But he was staying at the Ropers Motel while they were working in that West Texas area. So that's and that's how they met was um, in. Um, when she was working in that cafe. Now, I say she worked there through high school. She worked there through high school, but she was actually back from college. She went to Tech, Texas Tech for two years. That's where she was. That was her where she got married. That was her first marriage while she was in college. But she came back after that. I don't know what this, that was connected to it when they divorced or whatever. I, there's no information about that. But she ended back up in Pecos, back there working. So she um, that's where she met my dad. So, um, so that, that ties that a little bit, but he was, uh, he died, um, in the early seventies. Um, nobody knows the reasons why, but it was, there was a lot of suspicion, uh, back then with, uh, gamblers, um, especially back in those days. This is again, the history. When you start trailing these things back, you start understanding about the person and what they were into. And then you, you understand what things were like. And back then it was just so different. So, um, but they had partners. Gamblers usually had a partner because they did, they kept their stashes in certain places. If somebody got something happened to one of them or they got busted or whatever was going on with them, the other could get to their stuff to get them taken care of or whatever. So that was kind of how it worked in those days. Um, and uh, he used to go to Dallas a lot from there, from what I understand, played a bunch of card games. But he owned that motel, and he ended up owning a uh, the dance hall, and he ended up owning the um, a car dealership in Pecos. So he was, uh, and he was also, uh, from what I understand, he was amazing with. He was had a very giving spirit. So this is again when you find out these things and the tragedy around things, and maybe you're. <laughs> Your family members are a little on the gangster side. That doesn't mean they're not sweet. And that doesn't mean they're not, they don't care about people. But he, he had a reputation from what I could trail back from. Uh, knowing some of my mom's older high school friends that she still had contact with that I met, they always talked about Vito. He was the guy that, with all the guys on the football team, in high, they were in high school, he was the guy that if they were poor, they needed uniforms, shoes, whatever they needed. He he that he was the first one that was there, and it was usually a lot of times just under the table. It wasn't like 
open and looking for any recognition. So he was uh, he was very giving with with what he did with that. So there there's um, I didn't know him uh, very well, but because it was when I was like maybe eight or nine when he died. But he you know there, there's there's that, and, and again the contrast with that is that he was married to my grandma who did not have that reputation, and she was uh, kind of a uh, anyways um, one of those. Women, I think, wanted to be uh, uh, the center of attention and wanted to be that socialite kind of thing, but it was it's kind of hard to do in those kind of towns. And and uh, anyways, so a little just a little history on my mom. She was uh, uh, she played every sport. There was not a sport she didn't play. I've got pictures of her in every uniform. She was a cheerleader, and again, she was beauty queen. Miss, it wasn't called Miss Pecos back then because it was such a small town. But it, she was Miss Cantaloupe because Pecos is famous for cantaloupes. If you trail back anything, the best cantaloupes and all that, they're actually uh, from Pecos, Texas. So she was Miss Cantaloupe, and I've got that clipping with her on the, you know, the the thing with that. So she she le- very intriguing upbringing for her, um, and, and and around those things. Again, I, uh, I'm i not so sure where and, and can't identify the, these, the men issues with this and why, you know, because I don't, I'm sure there was a lot of chaos. She didn't get along with her mom and it just sounds like it. But again, my granddad was that way. Again, you just never know. So I don't know so much, but that's just a little history here. What was I going to tell you? Oh, so anyways. Dad and her got married. They traveled a little bit in a, in a, in a camper, um, uh, RV of some kind back then because he was still, you know, they did, these jobs they did were for months at a time. So uh, back then they pulled uh, some kind of trailer. And that's what was the first part of their marriage until my sister was born in 1959. And then they kind of, that's when they kind of, as I did talk about with, I think with my dad and, and, and some, some th- issues with that especially for him. So he never expected to have kids. Again, he was shipwrecked in cold ocean waters for a couple of days before they were rescued. Uh, doctor told him he couldn't have kids when my sister was born. Um, uh, he didn't, uh, or not born. When my mom told my dad that, that she was pregnant, he, he didn't receive that very well because his first reaction is you're screwing around on me, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why I said blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he was that that was part of his personality was to react. And again, he was alcoholic. I don't know exactly what happened. But again, the story is that he he put a pretty severe beating on her until they finally went and got tested and understood that he was capable of of having children. So my sister was born um, again. The relationship with. Women is very complicated with my dad, and I can't really go that deep in it. But my sister was never a physical target of my dad's, of his alcoholic um, rages. It was my mom until I was born. <laughs> and and so obviously there was more something going on with that. And I think it was more of jealousy because I think my mom, she was more uh, – partial to boys to to men and a lot of that is also from history uncovered through things with her and she uh she was very much even though played all these she played all these sports and did all this stuff was beauty queen and all that she was a tomboy and she preferred from the history and talking to these old friends and stuff of hers from back then uh that's what she wanted to do was go you know Pecos's big sand dunes and she just wanted to go run out there with them and do whatever they were doing out there and and you know she play the sports and do all that and this leads into with my dad never being around hardly and when he was it was again the monster but my mom is the one who taught me how to throw a football my mom is the one who taught me how to ride my bike uh, she was, and that's what she, she liked to do when she was married to my dad. She didn't work, um, cause he wouldn't, he wouldn't have any of that. And so she, again, being, she would never stood still was very active. Um, but she, there was a, a bowling alley that was built down, um, from where we lived and, 
I've got a lot of different stories about that too. But she ended up loving bowling. And she actually, and I have clippings and I have pictures of this. Uh, she became a semi-professional bowler. So this is, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting around that an exceptional bridge player. So my point being is you put my mom somewhere, she's going to excel in those, those competitive kind of ways. That was part of, I think, what was dangerous with her and these, all these men, including my dad, and even the later men that were very abusive as well, um, was she, she didn't, she didn't, there was no submission with my mom. <laughs> so she was all, you know, she'd fight back. She'd, she'd, uh, you know, she, so there was just a lot of that vinegar in her that comes from, I know from, again, the research of those where she grew up and that, that environment is just, you know, it's a tough, it's just a tougher, tougher world. And if you're if a tomboy, you're, you know, you're again, you're, that's, you're very, she was extremely, aggressive when she wanted to be. I always like to use the word assertive, but with her, there was a lot of aggressiveness. So she got all that entrepreneurial spirit from my granddad and, and all that, I believe. And and I will talk about that later in the 70s when she was blossoming into a therapist, um, if, when we, if we get there or when we get there. But during these times when I was born, I, I, she was, again, these a lot of these, this information now is coming from my sister. Because again, she's she's older and she's she has a little bit more memories around things. But the problems with my sister and my mom were a lot because my mom was neglecting my sister, and it was a lot because I think the dynamics of what was going on with um, uh, my dad, and then my dad was jealous of me, and so this is a lot of these these dynamics, these parents we have, these adults, that they, they, they don't know, they're not doing anything to help themselves, but they don't know how. Again, you have to remember that these people come from a different time. This is not letting anybody off the hook. But all that beaver cleaver stuff is a lot of beaver cleaver stuff. You know, uh, all of that stuff, there was a lot of that, a lot more than now probably. But most of it, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, most people would have thought, um, you know, when my parents were together or we went somewhere or did something when I was little that, you know, look, the presentation was there. My, my Every other Saturday, well, clockwork, until my parents finally divorced, I was at the barbershop with him. He always had a flat top. But I was at the barbershop with him. I never had anything from the day I was born until my parents divorced. I never had anything but a bus. I, I, it was always, you know, I was just a, what do they call it? Toe-headed boy or whatever it is. And I think that's, and, and I was in the sun a lot. Just, you know, my, I was very, very tan and, and my hair was a little, little, had a little blonde tint to it. But anyways, it, it was, I mean, there was a very strict way we looked. We have the, the family pictures were, you know, we're all, you know, and, and there's nothing like that happening behind the scenes. So it's a lot of presentation and, and it took a long time to learn that, but just like telling you the story about, you know, trying to give you a, a different perspective with my dad and how he wasn't having me having friends that were Jewish, you know, when I started playing with that kid down the street and, and uh, that I romanticized about their life because it was, it was one of those very, um, uh, beaver cleaver type. I mean, I, I experienced it. They had me over a lot for, for a while and it was, you know, there, I never, I don't have any memories of that being a weird place. It was there. It was just an amazing place. And so my mom was, uh, didn't, there was never a thought with her about a, uh, another race or another culture or anything like that. And, in fact, she was, she got it. Anyway, she was very much into learning about that and understanding a little bit more about those things. But so it was always okay with her. Um, and again, I also think looking back at things, I think that I do have memories of things. I think there was a little bit of, of poking the bear by putting me in those environments, uh, which were great with me, great memories. But I think she was poking the bear with my dad. Um, you know, um, because she knew dang well that that he was not having any of that. And 
she knew dang well what the consequences were if he got enraged about it. So anyways, thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash SelfCareSavage. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. With, so with her, uh, she, she again, was uh, overall neglectful of my sister. I got a little bit more attention, but she still exited the scene. You know, to become a semi-professional bowler when you have two kids in the 60s, you know, and, and you're still doing a little traveling, doing some tournaments and things like that. You know, you're not you're not really engaged in your uh, life. And I think this was part of my mom's escaping and stuff, too. Anyways, we talked a little bit with my dad and him putting him uh, putting my mom in a mental hospital because he played around a lot. And I think that was a big deal. There was it was starting to be very evident. I do remember my dad coming home one time and he had a very, very bloody side of his ear. Um, and it, it, I couldn't see it very well. And he was, when my, sometimes when my dad came in town there, it was a lot of times it could have been in the morning. It were, it was very, very late at night. And it was, he usually came home in a, he was drunk already somehow or hung over. So the story from my mom, when I had that memory, when I asked her one time, I said, I remember dad coming around, coming home and he had this you know, his ear. And she said, well, yeah, his ear was ha hanging ha off halfway because he was uh, playing around with this guy's wife and he caught, caught him. His name, my dad's name was Jack. Well, we can call him Jack. Uh, caught him and um, uh, beat the hell out of him and tore his ear halfway off. So this is, this is what she was dealing with. And so if you can imagine that, and then so imagine all the other times, that's where I think I'm connecting the dots around the paperwork stating when my dad put her in uh, the hospital was that she wasn't acting right. So knowing my mom's history and trying to hopefully give you all a little history, I hope you're understanding maybe while she probably wasn't acting right. I can, I can, even though there's a lot of early times I don't remember around that and a lot of things um, I can see that. And then when they finally went through it, she was in there a little bit and gave her the diagnosis of heartbreak. I think that that was, uh, that was a big, but with her, uh, my, uh, my oldest aunt, her oldest sister, um, uh, that, that was killed. Um, that was somewhere in that time. My parents were still married. So I'm not so sure that maybe that could have been a trigger for her to, to get more, more aggressive with her with what she was doing or that was part of the heartbreak diagnosis again they won't let me have anything else I, there's archives you can't get to and then there's a lot they just won't give me and and um and and that and i get it so but so i can just tie some of these together but i think those are 
I think a death of a sister and those two sisters probably, be, again, understanding they were pretty close overall, that was, and never having any indication there was a lot of closeness with anyone else other than with my mom and my dad, uh, my granddad. I think that was part of her issues with her mom was that that was his his only child, his real child. So I think he probably was being partial to her from indicators that I get. There's so much into this. You can read into it and maybe navigate through. But um, so anyways, there uh, our, our world, again, was explained a lot through the chaos with my dad. So I think my mom, uh, uh, it just got to a point, and I don't really know what what brought it to her finally getting to leaving him but i i think i told y'all or, or i'd spoken earlier too about how we lived in this one particular house where mostly i grew up in and uh they sold it because they bought property further out they were going to build on we were in this apartment that's when they actually physically split there was a few other things going on um they thought i had polio at one time um, from back then, because I actually became paralyzed um, for whatever period. It was a couple of week period of time. I came home one day from somewhere playing out wherever, and I could only I could only walk on my tiptoes. Um, and I was in my legs were freezing up. And again, I was maybe six then. I didn't really know how to communicate that. I didn't really know what was going on. So I really didn't tell anybody until the next morning. And the reason I had to do that is because I couldn't move my legs when I woke up. So um, anyways, thank goodness my dad went around because I'm sure uh, somehow there would have been a connection to me uh, being lazy or whatever instead of uh, actually happening. Anyways, when my mom took me um, to the doctor um, and she communicated with my dad uh, from my understanding from the stories, you know, he was like, you know, you know, just is he fine? Just take him and do whatever. But she, what she did is she needed him to come take me. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't because I couldn't walk. So my, here's my mom. This is, this is my mom. And even though she, she again, had her own issues and negative stuff going on and just, and wasn't very good at, at being like the, the, you know, that type of parent, uh, a lot of ways when it, when it came down to it, she, 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 she'd stand tall. I mean, there was not any time that she wouldn't, uh, go, you know, go through her own pain to, to protect her kids. Um, my sister doesn't have that af affection or affinity with her. And I get that. There's a lot of separateness. I don't know about that. A lot of things she tells me, I didn't realize were happening with her and my mom. But anyways, my mom, I ended up she having to climb. Now I am six. I'm not like, I don't weigh 200 pounds. But I'm, you know, I'm a tall, I was always kind of tall and everything. But, and she was five foot, you know, she was just, so I had to end up, she couldn't pick me up and carry me. So I had to end up her kneeling down beside the bed. And I had to get up to where I wrapped my arms around her neck. And then she had to, my feet were dragging. Remember, she's five foot tall. I'm probably right there. Or if not, even at that age, I was always tall. but. And I remember, and as she tells me, I was she, I was she was uh, dragging me, and my feet were dragging, and she was I was wrapped around her neck, and she just, you know, to get into the car, put me in the car. A lot of this I don't remember exactly what was going on or what was happening getting in the car. Put me in the car. I do remember getting there. We had to park in a parking garage, um, and go through that same motion. Get into the building. Go through that. I have no idea. Uh, why nobody's helping um, or what the deal is at that point. I can only imagine that my mom was, <laughs> you know, I can see that happening. But anyways, so they ended up doing a lot of tests. They assumed at the beginning I had polio because remember, even though uh, polio, we were just starting to get into vaccinations and things like that, that were required in the sixties um, for those kind of things. So um, I, I, I did, I don't think I had the polio vaccination. I think that's why they assumed it was. It ended up being some kind of virus, and they didn't even really catch it until after a couple of weeks I had actually started regaining, you know, and I started moving back 
you know, to where I could walk and stuff. So it's just one of those weird things. But that that's, again, part of part of how things were happening back then. And um, and, and that's, that, that doesn't even have to be relevant. But um, um, but my sister through this, I do feel like I need to touch on that with my, with, with my mom. And, and after even talking to my sister recently and and stories I've learned, you know, I used to not recognize my sister for anything. It was, I always, you know, we never, we, we were always detached from each other somehow. Um, I'll, uh, when my parents divorced, it affected her a lot more because again, she had that relationship with my dad. So, and she was, so I was seven ish. So she was nine ish. So, um, it had a lot more effect on her. And, um, and I don't think my mom was real beneficial with that for her. Um, I was just happy it was over. Um, I, here's how my mom told me again, these are just stories that are very intriguing to me. So I come home from, um, somewhere may have been school and they, he's not there anymore or his, his stuff is gone, all that kind of stuff. I don't know exactly what that was. But she, she, hey, I need to talk to you, whatever. I can't remember exactly those things, but I, I do remember what she did. She kneeled down. She grabbed my, like I had told you a story before about grabbing my wrist when I felt, when I wrecked my dirt bike. You know, she, she was real good about coming down to your level and kind of explaining things, even if it was really harsh or rough. But when she explained that to me, but that's what she did. She took my wrist. I always remember that. And she said, I need to tell you something. She said, I, I, uh, your dad and I are split up or whatever exactly the words were. So, of course, I didn't have any feelings around that. I, I was indifferent around it. And I wasn't, like, joyful about it. I just was like, it wasn't like my dad had any kind of relationship. I was like, oh, no, where's dad? You know, and all that. I didn't, I, I just didn't really care because I never cared when he was there anyways. Um, but this is the first thing she said after that. And it was, I know it was to soothe me or or to whatever if she felt I was having issues or whatever and it was probably planned out but this is exactly what she said because I hate it especially when I got older and that six going into school and all that even though that was a lot of the style back then was buzz cuts I hated it I hated that constant every other week and just buzzing my head and they just didn't like any of that process had no control it was a lot of you know when you're a kid you don't have any control even if it's something might, might be good for you, it's like, in, you know, I don't want, you know, you, you want to be decide for yourself. And I know I was trying to stop, but, and I think she knew that because she goes, she goes, do you want to grow your hair out? That was the next thing she said. I was like, hell yeah. I didn't say hell yeah, but I was like, hell yeah. That was there. There you got some emotion out of me. It was like, hell yeah. So, so um, anyways, that happened. But back to my sister, my sister was, extremely protective of me and it wasn't still we've talked about things and we still talk about things and talking to her a couple of days ago to get her consent on talking about this stuff we talked about some other things and I asked some questions about some other things that were on my mind some of these other stories I won't tell now but um and and it it she said well here's what happened and here's what and and I said how do you know that she goes because I was there and I said, you know, and so I started understanding that she was extremely protective of me and tried to protect me and tried not not getting in front of my dad or between us. Look, the monster scares everybody. Even if you're not the target, you're still going to be, a, you know, you don't want to be. But she tried to get me to be quiet, you know, to to, to not talk, talk when he was around or do certain things that she knew triggered him. And I, and I started remembering some of those things. So these, this, this is some stuff that, again, like I say, I'm always working in, in, in process. This is where now you start, when you start learning about others that you're trying to heal and forgive from, and you start trailing back. And then you, my sister and I really never talked about a lot of stuff because um, one of the things we'll talk about that happened, you know, in the seventies with both of us and these, this step uh, situation, um, um, you know, it was pretty, pretty, pretty awful, but um, there's just things I remember about that now that was like, she was just so protective of me. So I, I, 
am so I feel so grateful having gone down this track, first of all, because this is another reason that's a positive. My sister and I are actually connecting more through through this because she she has been someone to help connect the dots and and now she's just seeing how beneficial it's been. There's just a lot of positives to it. Anyways. So my sister, even though I don't remember a lot of that, I know now that that she was. And I uh, am so glad I, I I get that now. And I also f- am happy that she's able to talk to me about a lot of these things that went on with my mom. And, and because it does make sense. It's not I think there's some things that aren't going to make sense, but it, it, there, it, a lot of it does make sense. My mom was a certain way. She was these certain ways and, and, and things that happened. So, so anything, anyways, I think telling the tale of my dad a lot explains a lot what was going on with my mom. I just wanted to fill in the blanks with, with her history and then just talk just quickly about the last, after she left my dad, um, kind of those, um, so we're talking probably 67, eight-ish. So there's a, that couple of years that we're trying to get settled, you know, in and um, uh, as um, my mom with with my sister. And it'll give a little lead into the what the, the brought after that. And um, so, again, a lot of effect on my sister. They actually she, she did go see a therapist. I know for a while uh, they um, not sure how much my dad was involved in that, if, if at all. But my mom. Uh, did take her to therapy for a long time because she was really struggling with that. She was she's a lot more sensitive um, around things. She's also like when I, you know, got some permission to talk about more things from her a couple of days ago. It was made very clear she's not interested in revisiting a lot of those things herself, but she will whatever I need from her. So, uh, anyways, j- jumping back to where. So she's nine-ish years old in therapy and things like that. So what we're doing is we end up, I don't know the exact dynamics of exactly the the movement, but from that apartment with my dad after they were separated, we ended up being uh, still in the Dallas area. And now I'm uh, getting in that seven to eight. So I think we're getting into maybe third grade-ish. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to connect. So, so, um, we end up on this, look, we didn't have much money. My mom tells a lot of these stories that I'm not necessarily, I believe anymore, but she said, my dad did, uh, she said to leave him and to make the break very clean and easy. My mom said, what she did was just say, I don't want anything. And that's how it was written. Um, and there was a lot, some contradicted information around that uh, um, through the years and I, I can maybe touch on it or not doesn't really have that much relevance but so anyways we, we do end up in this little three-bedroom house in not the greatest part or area and um, uh, and so my mom is now fully engaged in going back to get her her um, degree she goes into a junior college in Dallas to finish up from tech a couple of years before she, she goes into getting her bachelor's. During this time, it's just immediately her. She's right into working, doing odd things. I think she was working in some facilities that, uh, you know, that had any something to do with uh, a mental health Um she was modeling. She was uh, became a model down. It's called Market Center in Dallas. It's it's like a mainstay where they come in every year and they truly really do all the fashion stuff in this area for Dallas. But so she became a model up there um, and did all that a lot. And I'm going to tell another story, but about some of these things that uh, some people these are just the, some amazing things that happen through some of these weird lives. So my mom again, her men stuff. So she's back at El Centro, and this is one of this little house. So now she starts. She's, um, she had me when when she was twenty five, and so I'm seven eight. So she's thirty three ish or whatever in like that. So she she starts dating a kid that's in college there. And his his name's Tommy, but Tommy was cool. He was he was not a, really damaged, so he wasn't. He actually was, you know, he would he would play with you a little bit, and just kind of. He was, 
you know, but he wasn't certainly overless. He was, he was younger. He was not interested in, you know, being my dad or anything, but so he, but he was, so this is my mom's right back at it, just with, with whatever's happening in her life. But then someone at um, modeling at the market center. And this person happens to be a manager for some country and Western X back then. So I don't know if you're going to know these people, but what ends up happening, and he is, I remember my mom's, you know, model, she's a little dynamo, she's a beautiful woman, and, you know, she's, uh, uh, and I'm so, and my mom was not into just a, a certain personality. I mean, it wasn't just that my mom was, had some superficial stuff going on and what was going on with her, too. Um, and this gentleman was, I remember, he, he, my memories, it feels like he was kind of obese. Um, and he was not a very attractive man. And he did it to me, remembering back then, he had a little smell to him. So... This is from my perspective, and I'm not saying my mom, you know, uh, anyways, what he did was, is he, they took me and my sister on one of their little trips. He always took my mom places. He had a private jet. So we get to go right on this private jet. So you kind of know my history and where I'm coming from, things like that. I get to go on it. I mean, a private jet. So I'm on this private jet. He's, he's, you know, he flies it. He's got his pilot license kind of deal and he brings me up and lets me sit next to him it's not big some you know back then i i can't tell you really even what it looked like on the outside now as much of a memory but it was it was very it's just again very very small but i remember it not being at that time i wasn't scared anyways you know he was that kind of guy come on up here scotty and you know sit over here and put the whatever put something on my head and you know, and uh, like, you know, you could hold the wheel and do those kind of things. So, you know, again, those are the impressions that come on a kid's memory because I didn't know who, what he did. And I didn't know who he managed because I didn't know these people back then. Didn't didn't care. The only person I might have known back then was Johnny Cash. There he is. Of Johnny Cash in that Folsom County prison uh, uh, record had come out. And I played it over and over and over and over again during that time. Anyways, so here's we're flying to Nashville. That's where we're going. We're going to Nashville. And we're going because he manages, I don't know if you know a guy named Bill Anderson. So if you look him up back in the day, he's just one of those, another, they call them cronies or whatever, but uh, or croners or whatever. But he's, he's just that clean cut looking kind of guy. He also had a show. He had the a variety show on TV kind of thing. You know, they did, you know, certain things, but maybe you've heard of this guy. If, if you know, Johnny Cash is, is Merle Haggard. So Merle Haggard is also somebody. So let me tell you about the memory of Merle Haggard. The reason I'm bringing these things out, because these are a lot of things that got buried for so long that were actually, Oh my gosh, you know, I was exposed to this, and it was actually this person. So we went to this concert. I don't remember. I guess we were there, of course. And, and, and it, both these people managed. One was Bill Anderson, who opened for Merle Haggard at that time or whatever. Or maybe they did whatever together. But it was after the show. Because we're in the back of this building, wherever we were, in a trailer, in a small trailer. It was Merle Haggard's little trailer, you know, for whatever they they get this. He he looks at me and my sister and he says he says I want to play you guys a song. Okay, now remember back then, you know it's kind of cool. The guy's got a guitar and you know he's you know he's uh, you know Merle Haggard. You know I mean the way he looks and he's you know he's so he I don't remember what the song was. My sister doesn't either, but he uh, he he commences to just start picking on his on his guitar. But here's what I remember. Here's what I'm focused on is his fingers because what he does is he's smoking and he takes the cigarette and he puts it in his his guitar up here in, in the little you know kind of sets it in there and then he moves his fingers over here to start picking but what i remember is his fingers just being completely yellow from all of the, the pack 
tobacco. So that's what a, a kid, or at least I was like, very focused on, you know, was how he put the cigarette in his guitar and then his yellow fingers. But um, so how amazing is that? I mean, to me, looking back on it, even though I don't look at it the way I look at it now, that's just, those are, this is part of a hundred stories, million stories I have that I buried. There was all this good stuff because when you're traumatized, you you layer all, that starts just oozing everywhere. And the longer it goes that you don't heal and forgive from those things, it just, the, the longer time goes by and more dirt and dust and everything just keeps piling up and you, you, you're like, you're living life and you're screwing everything up and you're, your relationships suck and because you're living out of survival mode still as an adult and you're just doing dumb stuff. And, um, and so you're blaming. And so as you continue to blame harder, everything just keeps piling on. I couldn't even see any of that stuff anymore. And if I, 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 um, and I, that I, these are, so when I talk about this and I, I'm trying to connect the dots of what, what the benefits are of doing the work. Even if you feel like somebody doesn't deserve to be forgiven or this just that it was that unforgivable thing, whatever it was, you're not forgiving them overall. For them, you're forgiving them for you. And then you start peeling back all these things. Once you do that, you start. I've always I've made several friendly reminders about it. You start peeling things back and you start talking about things differently. When you heal, you start talking about it differently. That's when you're able to start helping people. So there's so much amazingness into accepting these, these things, going back and doing some work on them. Again, healing yourself so it clears the way to heal other people. And then you start, these things will start coming up, up that will, that are amazing. Thank you for listening, and I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. Make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.